0: And welcome back, everyone, to yet another edition of Going For Two, presented by our friends at Home Field Apparel. I am your host, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, Matt Brown. I am joined by my friend and colleague, Brian Fisher, once again, as we slog through what was allegedly the doldrums of college athletics. But now it looks like we're, we're looking at potentially changing a bunch of significant rules. We're looking at potentially changing the basis of college football schedules. I understand that we are not the best barometers for what is a big deal and what is some deep, heavy nerd stuff. But it does feel like there's some like actual news and and not just uh, speculation that's that's about to happen here, right? Well,
1: it's like you're you're either actually making some progress on some items like the D1 Council will do on, on Wednesday afternoon, or there's like just speculation over NIL deals or like crazy things happening in, in the world of college sports. But it never slows down. We, I mean, times have we come on here and, and been like, "When can we get a When can we get a break? That's all. That's all no. I'm asking.
0: I've had I've had a little bit of a break, but. We'll see. Right. (laughs) I I, I want to uh, that's the D1 Council stuff is is what I want to talk about here. You know, at at the at the very beginning, you follow this stuff very, very closely. My understanding here and for you can help uh, educate our friends who are not tattooed to Twitter like like maybe we are, that the council is about to vote on a couple of proposals that uh, could be pretty significant in the college football world. One of them, if I understand this right, is basically ditching the 25 man signing limit for for recruiting if if i'm understanding this correctly assuming this vote goes through which you expect it to you can sign as many people as you want as long as you got a you're you're got the hard cap of 85 scholarships coming into fall camp
1: yeah i mean it's been a, kind of a slowish march towards hitting this 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 number and and i think it's something that that a lot of people have been discussing like why why aren't we just capping it at 85 and, and kind of going from there especially once grad transfers came in there was a lot of talk about the you know counters and initial counters which face it was initially kind of put in place because you know sec teams were, were signing 30 plus people and you know people got you know up in arms about that like how can you sign 30 kids and not guarantee them a spot and then i think that yeah. that that conversation has certainly you know slowly faded away from from the discourse and you know frankly this is kind of a response a little bit to kind of what happened you know during covid guys got an extra year roster management was a little, a little bit difficult Throwing one-time transfer on top of that, and hey, roster management—pretty darn difficult right now. I mean, that is pretty much every complaint. Uh, you, you know, you speak to a, an assistant coach, you speak to a head coach. You know, a, a lot of complaints related to. How am I managing my roster? How am I getting back up to my numbers? And, um, you know, this is, you know, there was a kind of a patch, I guess you could say, kind of applied to where you can, you know, because if you lost a number of guys, you could sign up to seven more above the 25 man cap. They're like, all right, well, 32 is a, a, a nice number, but still schools were struggling they, they you know, when you're losing 15, 20 guys to the portal you know it, it, you can't really replace them that easily and i think finding good options too is, is another thing you know uh, that, that a lot of coaches are struggling with right now but at least when this vote and, and pretty much everybody expects it to pass there, there might be some um, you know discussion over it in terms of it not passing but but i think i've given gotten every indication it will and when that happens coaches are, are basically given free reign to how they manage their roster and uh, the, the ultimate end cap is, is going to be 85. And I think that's also kind of partly designed to kind of ward off a few legal challenges as well. I think that's, that's kind of a, a part of the discussion, but um, it's going to be a brave new world. And uh, there, there's going to be a lot of reporters out there that are going to certainly go, go line by line on some of those rosters when they get released after the spring or, or in the fall yeah. in terms of, all right, this, we're, we're at 84. You know, th- this might be the number of people that uh, we're, we're going to get bringing in for, for a recruiting class.
0: When I was at SB Nation and was, was ran, briefly ran an Ohio State site for a while and, and helped other people run their sites, you know, scholarship grids yeah. were, were one of the things that tended to perform the best uh, in, in terms of like searchability because people over the summer were, were always looking for this. I am kind of torn about this proposal in a couple of different ways. I very much understand the arguments for – in an era where people can transfer so much more easily that not only is there a major competitive problem with not being able to get back up to 85 relatively quickly, there, there could be a legitimate safety issue. And I know that the poster children for o- oversigning or for some of the more aggressive applications of, of going above 25 were typically bigger programs in the SEC. And it's it's easy to see how some of those might benefit from this world. But correct me if I'm wrong, but when I thought of the of the leaders in this in college football who began to push for changing the twenty five man limit, it wasn't Ole Miss in Alabama. It was the Mac and it was Kansas and it was some of these other places because they realized look, if you have a bad coaching transition or if you miss on a couple of JUCO guys, um, you could be sitting at sixty-five players and you might not get to eighty five in three or four years. That cripples your coaching staff. And that's a bad experience for your current athletes. Uh, It might even be a safety issue if you don't have enough linemen, uh, which was an issue with some of the COVID stuff too. So I look at all that and think like, all right, it it makes sense to change this. This would be my concern. And I don't really know if there's a way to actually address this. At the Power 5 level, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, at the P5 level right now, Those scholarships are supposed to be guaranteed. I mean, some schools do it year to year, but in this current year, they're supposed to be four-year commitments. Um, We both know that sometimes when a player hits the transfer portal, it is not always out of their free will and volition or their decision. That they may be very strongly encouraged by their coaching staff to go elsewhere, and they might – Maybe some coaching staffs might be willing to be very aggressive in in making that clear. right? My concern would be that theoretically you could have a a coach decide to sign 40 kids every year, knowing full well that they're not going to keep all of them and uh, have the coach rather than the athletes be the main decider about whether you're still going to be on the roster for just processing, I think is the industry term, a large number of athletes. I don't really see how that's really great from the athlete's perspective, but I don't really know how you can like prove that or stop it. And I would imagine that's going to be part of what what happens here as schools try to grab some semblance of control back from athletes. Am I off base?
1: No, I I think that's a perfectly valid concern and, and is part of the discussion that's going to happen on Wednesday when uh, when you know a lot of these D one council leaders are going to talk about this this proposal which has been vetted by, you know, the the football oversight committee. And, and, you know, really the the genesis of it was, you know, the coaches themselves and and the coaches association. So um, we we understand where where this proposal is is getting that push from. It's obviously, you know, coaches trying to manage their their roster a little bit better. And, you know, you're right. I mean, like you you mentioned Kansas, that that is a great example of a Power 5 program that was essentially an FCS team for the bulk of what, four four or five years from now? Yeah. uh, And
0: and, and, uh, again, to be clear, friends, we are not making, saying, They're basically an FCS team because they were as good as an FCS team. Although that was true. Missouri Valley football team could have put them in the garbage can a couple of those years. We're saying they're an FCS team because they had 63 scholarships. They were like literally roster size. North Dakota.
1: Yeah. And Sorry. so I mean, yeah. like the, there are a lot of, you know, that that's those sort of issues where just natural attrition. I mean, that, that was the reason why, you know, everybody thought the 25 man cap was was going to be fine. Obviously, you have 85, you know, over a four year period that would have added up to 100 the guys medically retire. They just want to move on from football. Maybe they're, you know, just kind of riding the bench. Maybe they don't want to play somewhere else. They've got their degree. They're, they're ready to move on would have that kind of not natural attrition guys would go to the nfl even you know like you, you would understand yeah. that your numbers would be all right yeah you might be short you know you might hit eighty, eighty-two, or something like that and then you get three three walk-ons of scholarship and you'll be fine and, and away you go but because of the transfer portal because of the additional guys in the transfer portal that also had an additional year of eligibility that kind of created this crunch i mean it, it's difficult and, and you even look at the high school ranks you know not as many high schoolers were, were kind of signed out of um you know coming out of the, their recruiting classes so now you got yeah. kind of you know adjustments that that need to be made there and you mentioned the, the Mac in, in, in particular. I mean, look, uh, you know, schools like that that do want to sign and, and get back up to their numbers, because not only are their rosters being poached uh, at, at the high end, but, you know, they, they have that natural, natural attrition on, on the low end that they've got to sign some additional guys in, out of high school. You know, they, they've got to go into the JUCO ranks and, and whatnot, and I, I think this was in, in an ideal world, a way that um, you know, really it, it simplified things for a lot of people out there. You know, you're not worrying about, you know, can I can I gray shirt this guy? Can, can I defer Enrollment for another one. Can I play some of these games just so I can get my roster back up to where it needs to be? This is very simple, very clean, and I think that ultimately is is probably a, a secondary driver on on top of the the legal issues that uh, I think a lot of people see with you know potential challenges out there in in, in the minefield there. But um, you know, to be honest, I think this is this is something that just really is is going to be an adjustment for college football and. There, there are pluses, there are minuses, but at, at the end of the day, I, I think this is just kind of the new reality that both coaches and the players themselves have to understand that maybe their, their spot is not really guaranteed, although they sign that four-year deal with the, with the school.
0: Yeah, right. It's not like that. And I don't know if anyone's going to try to sue over that kind of thing.
1: I don't
0: know from sitting at my desk right now what this will mean for High school for how everyone will, will approach roster management vis-a-vis high school recruiting versus uh, established athletes. What you were talking about earlier, that's a documented fact, like with, with these caps and with people being unable to dip more into the high school ranks, not as many high school kids were getting FBS offers. We even had a couple of programs. I think Texas State was like the famous one that was just like, we're just going to fill our entire recruiting class with transfers. We're going to sign like one high school kid because, by God, we need to get good now or I'm not going to have a job anymore. And so it was, you know, it's better to go grab somebody that you know has an FBS body versus somebody that you're making a projection two or three years. And I don't know if that was the best for athletes generally. I don't, I mean, I I, I think I might be a little bit surprised if there were that many P5 programs that said, we're going to try to take 40 high school kids most of the time. A couple of them might, maybe depending on um, who's on the hot seat, which is just going to lead to more attrition anyway, I, I, I would suspect it's going to be you might have a, the schools that are desperately trying to build up numbers because they're so far behind might do that. But I, I could I, I my gut is you'll see more of 22 to 27 high schoolers depending on the year and maybe a little bit more uh, activity in the portal. But well, it, it's going to
1: change, you know. Coach, coach situation to situation. You might be close. You yeah. think you're close to competing for a conference title. You you might need you know one or two additional skill position players. Like you know, I I, I know when in talking with coaches, you know, not only is it, do you add all this in terms of just transferring to get your numbers back, but like the nil conversations that are going on are, are, are a very real thing and definitely dissuading a lot of coaches. Saying, you know, when you're going into the portal and it's going to cost you, you know, you well, you know, certainly your boosters it's it's going to cost them you know an nil (laughs) worth 25 to 50k for you know some running back like when you can go to the high school ranks obviously their quote-unquote nil value would be a little bit lower um you know it it just would make sense to kind of for for a lot of programs in particular uh, at the group of five level to just go that route and and be able to fill your numbers that way and I, i mean i i think that's the the other complicating factor with this is that uh you know coaches understand that uh you know there's there's the additional nil element uh to managing your roster. And that has never been the more of the case than the kind of really this, this current cycle that we're in right now. And, you know, it's led to some, some bad decisions. Certainly guys that would would love to end up going back. Certainly guys that do not have a spot, you know, and maybe this rule will allow a little bit flexibility. I know the NCAAs put out some numbers in terms of the transfer portal. Uh, You know, they, some of those numbers are inflated because a lot of them are walk-ons. Like, you know, yes. I, like I think that kind of gets overlooked a lot. You know, everybody talks about, oh, there's two thousand players in, in in the portal. Well, you know what? A good there's, chunk there's of There's not two thousand yeah.
0: scholarship yeah. football players in the portal. And, nope.
1: And, and there will be some that you might be able to find a, a you know, be a walk-on at, at a Power Five program. Maybe it's where their parents went to school. Maybe they're, you know, just a, you know, local legend that they wanted to just stay close to home and and wanted to walk on in the program. But you know what? For their final two years of, of eligibility, maybe they want to go down to, you know different level and, and get a scholarship this will help you know some of those uh, and, and alleviate pressure that way certainly yeah. alleviate pressure with guys just not being able to find a home because some of these schools just don't have spots you know and i think it's going to be an, an interesting thing throughout the summer even though there's kind of a waiver process kind of going on everybody kind of expects that. People that are in the portal now, they're going to slowly find homes, and then you know, are, are we going to get another wave of this? And related to this conversation too is the further discussions about transfer windows, and and I think that's that's obviously something more on the transformation committee's plate. The football oversight has discussed this topic, you know, quite at, you know at, at length, really. And I think that's ultimately going to happen, and and bring a little bit of semblance of. Um, I, I, I guess, order to the sport. But, you know, this is this is kind of the first step is, is let's just put that 85 man roster limit out there. Let's study the issue and then let's adjust from there.
0: Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned the walk on component because I was literally talking to an analyst at the Division two level earlier today. That was saying like, this is actually a very big deal for us. This was this was at a guy at a, at a school in Texas where it's like we go in there and we look for people that you we know, were PWOs, preferred walk ons at some of these bigger Texas institutions get two or three years of higher level training and and and, uh, and food and, and coaching. And then when they realize they're never going to play come down to Angelo State or Midwestern and be part of our program and come back closer to home. And that's part of their roster management. Everybody, if they, I mean, everyone's going to end up somewhere. There may not be enough spots in the Sun Belt, and that just means that's a benefit for the Southland. And if there's not enough spots in the Southland, somebody from the Lone Star is going to get somebody, and then somebody from there is maybe going to decide football's not it for them anymore, right? Or, or, or maybe they go down NAIA or, or, or something else. There's a spot for everybody. You did hit on, I mean, is is there a transfer window proposal being discussed now or voted on now? Because this is something that we both get asked all the time.
1: I I don't think there's anything formal that is going off off memory uh, serving. There's not anything formal going in front of the council. this time around. Obviously, they meet again in June as well. So, um, you know, there's time, I guess, for additional committee meetings and, and to send it out there. But the actual transfer portals and when those windows will be ha- have been a significant part of, of the conversation as well. So, um, you know, I think there's there's been talk about whether it will be you know, certainly right after your the end of your season, you know, whether it's right after the bowl game, um, you know, really kind of at least providing, you know, a, an allowance for the fact that, yes, people are going to transfer. That's totally natural. People understand that they have this option. I mean, this is something that, 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 uh, you know, current students have, right. You know, you, you can transfer, but you got to hit those deadlines to apply for those other colleges. You got to, you know, kind of go through the entire yeah. process and, um, uh, you know, this is kind of bringing a little bit of that to the, the athletic realm and. Um, I, I think for the most part that is something that uh, will end up happening and probably later this summer if nothing else you know it you know it's possible that the, the way the committee you know the d1 council has, has changed things it, it has been an evolution right you know they, they had uh, certain things where they could put it on the, the the docket and vote on it the next month and then that kind of kind of went away and they're like now, now we had to kind of send uh, proposals away, and we were going to table a lot of things. So, like the D one council thing, you know, that is a, a constantly shifting landscape. But they are going to vote on on the twenty five man and uh, changes it for sure. And then I think the there's still some added discussion because it's not just college football that is dealing with transfer windows it's everything everything men's basketball women's basketball volleyball like everybody understands this this whole portal crunch um, you know is is affecting the ncaa at large and i think they're they're waiting for some additional data too Um, but uh, you know the ncaa research folks are are certainly you know uh, bringing a a lot of information for the leaders that are actually you know talking and discussing these proposals to uh, to consider as well
0: you had recently tweeted something else. Speaking of the transformation committee that I had meant to ask you about and hadn't gotten a chance to, uh, if I'm, I'm paraphrasing your remarks earlier, but you were—I think you were talking about some consternation from from athletic leaders about what's happening with Division One reclassification because it doesn't seem—and this, this is what I've heard—that the transformation committee is unlikely to come out with like really firm updated guidelines by like August, and yet there's still a deadline to file paperwork now. What are you hearing on that front and what that's looking like for the handful of institutions in the process of that transfer, that, that reclassification or considering it right now?
1: Well, I, I mean, you would probably know a, a little bit more in terms of some of the, the D2 and D3 schools that, that do want to move up in, in terms of who they are. But there is a deadline, right? Like this is this is the NCAA, right? This is, uh, you know, yeah. the red tape bureaucracy kings of uh, of college athletics. and. Now, there is a deadline on June 1st where you basically have to submit your application, obviously, to join, uh, you know, the the Division One itself. And for schools that maybe haven't done that, maybe schools that, that have and are anticipating changes down the road. Yeah, I think there's there's some lot of you know nervousness, some some angst about what is the, the future of Division One? What are those minimums? Do you want to apply now knowing you can get in? Division one, because a lot of those applications are, are simply rubber stamped. Uh, obviously we've seen a massive amount of conference realignment, not only at, at the FBS level, but especially at the FCS level, even the D one triple level. I mean, there's still more oh, yeah. to come. Um, you know, when, when you hear rumors from the big East and the WCC and, and other leagues out there that, that are certainly considering new members. I, I mean, like the, there's a host of, of openings out there. Right. And so, you know, for the school leaders themselves, not only do you have to hit that June 1st deadline to, to apply to division one, but, you know, let's face it, you know, the transformation committee work on what the, the future of division one, whether that's uh, another subdivision uh, beyond FBS, FCS, obviously, you yeah, have the autonomy five there. There are these various fractions. Right. And I, I, I don't get the sense that that any of this work is, is going to be done by august by september that has been communicated to the d1 board i think everybody expects this to ultimately end up happening by january 2023 um whether it's a final report whether those those changes are actually voted on then probably at the, the the convention in 2023 so Everybody's like, w- w- what is? What am I tr- cl- reclassifying into? Or conversely, am, am I going to you know miss out on the on the boat? And so uh, a lot of decisions that that need to be made. And, and like you know, these these are real applications. You gotta you yeah. have have plans. You gotta you know pony up money and, and application fees. Like it, it's not just a simple process. Laying, raising your hand and saying, hey, I want to be a D one member. There's an actual process. And so getting that done when you don't really know what some of the future is like, especially for these small schools that are moving up that are going to be impacted by by some of these potential changes uh, it has definitely led to some angst and at least some wanting some guidance in terms of what, what is ultimately going to happen and what the timeline is.
0: The only guidance, I think, formally that a lot of these institutions have gotten was a memo, I want to say a couple of months ago, that said, hey, just so you know, if we raise the bar in eight months, you are not grandfathered in, Like it, it, you, that you need to be aware for those potential things. And this was something I heard a lot like last fall. With and, and with many Division two institutions that were contemplating this, thinking like we got to make this move now because we don't know what the future is going to be, and and for FCS to FBS now it's a little bit less clear. Uh, but 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 you're right. I, the one thing that like I have heard is that a formal moratorium either this summer or in the next couple of months is less likely. Um, especially because there are so many conferences that, quite frankly, need Division Two teams um, to achieve some semblance of stability. So that becomes less politically popular to to, to have that. But all, all of that's all of that's an issue. And, and you're right to your earlier point. We're not done with realignment. Um, we're not done because you're right about the maybe the bigger level. We could see something with the West Coast Conference. We could see something potentially with the Missouri Valley Conference in the next year. They're not done. Done forever for college basketball. The the A ten may end up getting a sixteenth team or losing a team. Like that's that's not impossible. But in terms of like immediate future, look at the Colonial Athletic. Look at the MiAC, which might not exist in a year. We shall see. Uh, and look at the WAC, um, who uh, I I I'll, I think I've mentioned this on extra points, but I'll say it here in case you forgot. Um, very very good chance. Uh, Incarnate Word decides to stay in the Southland. Um, that's something where we should receive some sort of clarity in the near future. If I was a betting man at this point, I think it's like 60-40. They don't end up actually joining the WAC. Um, and that's that's probably a, an Extra Points newsletter here for another time. There's one other big change that is being contemplated more at the conference level that will change the way that football operates here. But before we, we dig into that here real quick, I did want to very quickly uh, shout out our dear friends at home field apparel our sponsors our biggest patrons and of course the providers of fine comfortable officially licensed collegiate apparel for the the shirt region what should we call torsos right and also the pants region um t-shirts crew necks tank tops uh joggers home field makes it all and they make it with all of the fun weirdo vintage logos the uh this saturday is Arkansas? I think that right. That's the first the, the new episode here in Big News Saturday. Uh, there's a couple other big Power Five institutions that are going to be coming in the weeks uh, in, in the in the in the near future. They've refreshed a couple of other places. I'm probably uh, going to get several stuff from 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 Big News season and not just maybe the big school that you're thinking of here. Very excited about it. Our Arkansas friends are very excited about it. Our mid major friends are very excited about it. You should be very excited about because, look, the weather's warming up, man. Uh, this is like the first time I've worn a collared shirt all day in in a while. Um, I'm mostly just in T-shirts. It's going to be in the 80s in Chicago for probably the next three months. So that's, you know, outside of going to like NACTA, I'm basically always going to be in a home field shirt. You probably are, too. So now's the time to go grab some of that home field stuff.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm and I got my, uh, my Butler shirt going on here. Like uh, the, the thing is that I am so excited about the, the newest season, not just Arkansas. Like you, you mentioned some of the schools, we, we we've been purview to some of them as well. And uh, the designs are, are fantastic. And, and I think the, uh, if, if you've, not bought in some home field before, like like just peruse the catalog. There's something for everybody. There's a, a t-shirt for your grandpa. There is a t-shirt for your your cousin. Like you yeah. you, you can go go hog wild, uh, especially this week, but uh, in, in general as well. But I'm- uh, yeah.
0: I, uh, I My father-in-law went to UCLA. I bought him and my mother-in-law UCLA shirts. Um, went went myself some brownie points. Stole in a lot of valor from other schools. You should do the same. And when you do... Use promo code extra points to save 15% off at checkout that saves you money that tells homefield that it is worth their money and time to continue to sponsor us which we need in order to actually make this project going um, so everybody wins, especially us although you also win because you, you get the t-shirt which is uh, which is which is a great product. and of course if you are looking to get your stuff on homefield or your ad on this podcast which reaches uh, thousands of college sports fans, thought leaders, administrators, media members, everybody else, that uh, that is that, uh, shoot me an email at matt at extrapointsmb.com. Uh, Brian, the other thing I want to talk to you about, maybe we, maybe we don't, this ends up being a little bit shorter than some of our other, other episodes, is some other proposals being considered at the conference level, which are near and dear to my heart because this is what... My corner of sports nerd internet has been shouting from the heavens for years. It is what the subreddit people have been shouting for years, the SB Nation crew, RIP. And that is getting rid of divisions. Down with divisions, long live pods and this is something that could become a potential reality, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, not just pods, but uh, really big changes to how you determine a conference champion, and, and look, this is a, a proposal that originated out of the Pac-12, so I think you can kind of understand the direction that, that they're going to go uh, down the road now. Uh, you mentioned pods, and I know that's going to be a big discussion point, but basically what the council is going to do is is kind of allow the conferences to determine how they want to crown their own champion with, with conference championship games. There, there had been a requirement in there if you basically are are, you know, at 12 or more, you, you had to have divisions and end divisional play to s- set up your champion. Um, look, this is something that the Big 12 is, is obviously going to have to battle as, as they kind of expand and contract uh, for these next couple of cycles uh, of, of schedules and, and how they are going to figure out uh, some of these divisional play. Um, you know, I think obviously the the, the SEC and ACC discussions are, are pretty advanced. I know of one league already out there that uh, has their proposal ready to go. They're they're really just waiting for the kind of rubber stamp from the committee on on Wednesday, and then uh, they, they will have their uh, you know vote among 80s and, and presidents and whatnot to, uh, to to change their model. So. This is going to affect a lot of conferences you know pretty much everyone is going to look at how we can best not only crown a champion but put put our our conference in better, better position to get to the college football playoff you know, especially now that it's not expanding you know teams like you know in in, in the Pac 12 in particular you know this is going to be a big thing for them to match up one and two really kind of avoid some of the pitfalls of divisional play to where you could have a seven eight win team you know pull pull an upset in a championship game and then uh, you know really torpedo your bid and torpedo tens of millions of dollars as well so it, it, it's going to be a, a big change you I'm sure some fans out there might have just figured out who's in the ACC Atlantic and who's in the ACC Coastal <laughs> or you know the, which which teams are, are formerly legends and which team are formerly I, I still
0: gotta I gotta double check where Wake Forest is every time they come up uh, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I, guys I just
1: figured out which ones you know were probably last year I think I, I had consulted the uh, you know the, the, the standing sheet enough to where I was like I can do it by memory now but like you know yeah. the American is, is obviously in in a unique position they they have an odd number of teams so it's like you know they they have to kind of change scheduling components obviously the the big 12 they play the round robin right now so it's not really going to affect them but they're really way behind this proposal because they know what it means for the future and 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 some of the changes that they're going to have in terms of conference membership so the the more interesting thing is is not that council is going to vote on this proposal and, and it's kind of going to go in effect uh, as soon as this year, I think everybody's looking at changes for 2023. I mean, this is,
0: yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's too sport. late to make a change for next year's schedule. The cards have already been printed, man. They're there already going to be hanging up in every bar and in office like, across the country. I mean,
1: we're, we're already getting TV announcements. So like that, that, that ship has sailed. I mean, this is a freaking sport that schedules, you know, 15 years out in advance. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think it is important to kind of keep that in the back of your mind, but come 2023, there's going to be some, some some big changes, and it's going to you know there's going to be a lot of debate right now. I mean, I can already I already know as a matter of fact that the debate coming out of Destin when the SEC has their meetings, it's going to be a little heated. I think in some of those rooms among the ads among. Some of the presidents about like, who is your permanent rival, you know? And, and fans are certainly going to be able to chime in and, and, and uh, that's going to be a talking point. I'm sure over the next couple of weeks, And you know, it's like if you get stuck and, and you're in the sec and you want your pod and you want a, a a bit of an easier crossover. Like I'm sure teams are just going to be fighting over having to play Vanderbilt uh, for the next couple of years, you know, sorry, sorry, Cluck Lee and, and everybody there at Vandy, but like, they're going to be teams that are like, I, I don't want to, play, I'm not sorry. I, I don't want to have to play Florida and LSU and Auburn or something like that is my, my three permanent you know, opponents when, when they get Vanderbilt, like, you know, teams are going to be fighting over some of the, um, you know, lesser known uh, sec programs, but uh, and, and trying to avoid others like Alabama, but you know, the bottom line is, The schedule, it just sucks. You know, like teams are just not being able to visit places, you know, in your own conference. Like, I mean, the SEC and and, and, uh, the ACC in particular, I mean, like you're going like six or seven years without visiting some places. You know, I I think I don't even think Georgia has has visited A&M, you know, yet. And they joined the league. Well, it's eight, seven, eight years ago. So
0: It's it's about an eight year cycle. I think the way that it's set up right now, it is in terms of trying to deliver the best possible product to fans and I think the best possible product to the athletes by saying you get to actually visit everywhere. Current system's pretty indefensible and it becomes more indefensible the bigger your conference actually gets. What you're talking about in terms of trying to make the conference championship game an event that people would actually care about more, I don't think you can do it with divisions, particularly because most divisions are set up geographically and talent tends to be geographically concentrated. The biggest example is the Big Ten. And during the regular season, Big Ten West teams beat Big Ten East teams all the time. But guess where the good football players are? They're not in Big Ten West states. So it's basically a division of teams that that can recruit at championship level and teams that are Iowa. And Iowa will win lots of football games and they'll go to the Citrus Bowl, but there's a reason the Big Ten East team wins every single time in the championship game. And and it will probably continue that way for, for a, a long period of time. The divisions in the, the Pac-12, I would not consider to be especially balanced it's been kind of a weird time for the la and the arizona schools for the past couple of years but i think there's 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 more upside uh, for most of the southern programs than there are and for maybe the the stanford cows and wazoo's here of the world in terms of where the good football players are and where the money actually is so let's not do it this way and the sec the i mean the sec and the acc are, are the best possible uh, I- examples um the, the, the fun thing for everyone to fight about, I guess, is just like, okay, what games, are we do, what games do we absolutely have to play every single year? And, you know, th- that's, a, that's a tough thought experiment because there's only one team that I think meaningfully considers like Vanderbilt to be a rival. Uh, and, and that's true for the, the kind of the dregs of, of most places, right? Who has a deep, passionate connection to Oregon State outside of Oregon? Well, I mean, look at be, the ACC. Yeah, like, they at, you got pick somebody, Louisville.
1: Like, yeah, there are some some old Big East rival rivalries with you know, like the the Syracuse's and Boston colleges of the world. But like, who's a natural rival, you know, in the ACC for Louisville that you know, kind of Clemson and Florida State have? They they've had that kind of budding rivalry. Yes, they're kind of at the top of things. Obviously, you have FSU and Miami, and you you know you have some, yeah. some natural rivals built in that. But like, how how are you going to plug some of those holes in terms of who that third game is on on a regular basis? It, it's definitely going to be. Not only has been an interesting conversation at, at a lot of these spring meetings, but it's it's going to kind of follow, follow uh, this decision uh, as as conferences kind of really have the, the the you know the 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 mat well rolled out for them to uh, to make these changes. And uh, I think it's also going to be you know really job changing. I mean, if you're Maryland, if you're Indiana, like your job could get a lot better. You know, just in terms of how your perception so, of your job so much is.
0: so much better for for Maryland, right? Or the, the ceiling for that Maryland job in this current structure is. If you hit everything perfectly, you finish third in the Big Ten. Um, and, it I mean, quite frankly, like, as somebody who's still emotionally invested in Ohio State, like, I don't want to see them play Maryland every single yeah. year. Uh, you know, that the Ohio State's going to play Rutgers every single year. You could do that for a decade. Rutgers will not win once. It is just now barely starting to become a little bit competitive. I, I want to say the median score in that series has been like Ohio State 49, Rutgers like 9. Right? We don't need this every year. We need more Rutgers. Purdue. Uh, for for the for the for the sake of, of both of those programs, right? And or, or I guess Rutgers, Nebraska, if we want to talk I, about. I like, mean, where, it helps at the, teams the are top now. of
1: the end too. I mean, look if you're yeah. Penn State or you're Michigan State, and you obviously have Ohio State, you know, really running that league. But like, you know, you you, you lose one of those games, and uh, and especially because of the head to head and how valuable that is in, in a division like the East. I mean, now now you at least still have a shot, right? You know, it's all about keeping teams alive, you know, for these conversations. Selling, selling hope. Don't yep. know and then you add in playoff expansion you know like you, you add that carrot out there it's not just you know you're still alive for the conference title now you're still alive for a you know maybe even hosting a, a playoff bid or something like that so like that there's a lot that you know this fixes and i think more than anything it's really good for the tv partners let's let's face it you know like they they don't Finally. want another maryland rutgers uh you know s- you know thing on their schedule every single year like now they can at least sell some of these 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 big time games and make sure that they are bigger deals because you're going to get more of a variety you know you're you're gonna have AM play georgia a little bit more often you're gonna have florida you know making that that trip down to auburn which they have not played all that often and and that's a, yeah. a natural rivalry given the distance between those schools like you know there there's just a lot of things that uh i think is is a big win for everybody and Frankly, I'm kind of surprised it took this long. You know, you, you would have thought after the especially the, the first a couple rounds of, of college football playoff uh, talk and expansion and everything that went on there. You think, that, hey, maybe we should we should change things up. And I, I'm, I'm a bit surprised it has even taken this long um, in, until we get to this vote on Wednesday for this to even happen. But it, I, it definitely is. I,
0: I think it's because especially in the SEC, it becomes such a political decision. And and you really do have to to be a a, a high level diplomat to, to get this to work, right? Because if if you if you tell somebody that okay, two of your three protected you know, games you're going to have every year are Alabama and Georgia, um, that has very significant financial repercussions. Even if that changes the rest of your schedule, maybe some years that's advantageous. Sometimes it isn't. Um, inertia is a powerful force. I look forward to it. I hope. I don't think anybody should have divisions. <laughs> maybe not every single league tears this down at the same time. But, like, I don't think there's a way you can draw up a Big 12 division geographically or culturally where it makes any sense. So let's not even bother trying. Uh, it doesn't really make sense in the ACC. Um, maybe we have to manufacture a rivalry or two. But, you know, we've done that in other leagues before. We had to do that for for South Carolina when, when they came into the SEC and nobody died. So I, I'm going to in the show notes on extra points. I'm going to include... Kind of our our the SB Nation Magnus Opus from uh, my colleague Jason Kirk, but I I worked on this when we were writing it. It obviously doesn't include Texas and Oklahoma in this world because that was they weren't part of the SEC when we all still had jobs, uh, staff jobs together. But it did include our proposal for the, the 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 protected rivalries for every team. It may not be the most competitively fair, but I think it would provide the best product for everyone and i don't think that many fan bases would be upset like as an ohio state guy i would rather have michigan and penn state be protected games even though that inarguably means ohio state will have the hardest schedule all the time sure ohio state the the our country needs ohio state penn state every year like that 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 should not that should we should not risk that falling off of the schedule if that means we get a little bit less ohio state Rutgers. that is a sacrifice i matt brown and personally prepared to make um We'll
1: see how everybody else feels about it. Well, I mean, just the, the balance, you know, it brings, even look at, look at the Sunbelt those last couple of years, right? You know, the, they were so imbalanced in terms of that, that East division where you had the the Appalachian States, you have the Louisiana, oh, like, it, yeah. and then you would look across the, you know, across the Island, you know, yeah, it provided opportunities for, for some schools to get wins, but, uh, you know, really kind of put a, put a damper on, on certain programs where your, your Georgia States and, and Georgia Southerns at, at times, like, you know, that they, they were almost limited, you know, with, a, with an artificial ceiling, given that there were other, you know, double digit wins, you know, teams like look the Mountain West, another great example. Like they had, yeah. you know, three 10 wins, you know, teams, you know, and and two of them were, were basically out of the running, you know, by mid November in terms of getting to that division title game. That's not good for anybody. You know, it's not good for interest in the sport. It's not good for selling your conference about how hey, you know, look at all these good teams that are still in the running. And uh, that, that matters, you know, it matters when you're on game day and you can talk about more than a couple handful of title races, you know, like, I, I think that that is an important thing to keep in mind. You, you got to understand there are other secondary effects from this in terms of bowl partners, you know, that they're going to probably get better matchups, you know, when you're saying, yeah, we got stuck with the, the fourth team in the, in the big 10, you know, big 10 East, like you you're not thrilled about that but what you know when those divisions are eliminated and, and you have a team that can say hey yeah we, we, we got a seven or eight win you know team that's is, is going for the bowl you know for, for the first time in, in a while you kind of get behind that versus uh kind of looking to where they they finished in the, in the standing so uh, more than anything i think this is going to be a big change for for everybody to just kind of get used to everybody is so resistant to change in college football but at the end of the day, it's going to help coaches. It's going to be a better experience for players in terms of where they're traveling to and where they're getting to play in some of those environments. And and for the TV partners and conferences themselves, they'll, they'll be able to sell a better product. And so I, it's, it's going to be fun to see.
0: Yeah. Let, listen, let's take the easy wins where we can get them, everybody, because there's going to be a bunch of big old drag it out fights where Brian and I don't have good answers. And neither does anybody else. And it's gonna there's going to be lots of wailing and gnashing of teeth and renting of clothing. This is easy. Let's go do the easy things right now. Bask in, in, in the, the adulation from your television partners and your fans and your ability to sell season tickets, and we'll deal with the other stuff here later. Well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get you out of here a little bit earlier today because we got a bunch of other stuff that we got to talk about here later this week and also here on Extra Points. But just because we are not going a full 60 minutes doesn't mean there's not a bunch of other content for you, particularly on Collegiate Sports Connect. Uh, I recorded. I think a, a, a couple of interesting interviews. I'll share a couple of these in the show notes. We talked to the, the president of West Texas A&M at the Division II level about his goals and, uh, and proposals for a Texas-centric league and what the future of college sports and Texas looks like at that lower level. Uh, we t- I talked today to um, the executive producer of the, the some of the content you're seeing on things like Hogs Plus, the subscription services, now supporting a couple of different uh, SEC schools, and uh, spoiler alert, a couple more that I'm going to tell you about in a few days that are going to be getting this service here too. Uh, Brian's had a couple of big conversations as well. What else should we be as should direct our audience to uh, so they, they don't miss everything?
1: Well, if they're not already uh, an extra point subscriber extra is, is always a great way to get uh, in on your writing and obviously you'll go have this show and, and and various other connects that uh, you also pass along there but but the d1 ticker is, is the place for, for all of that uh, not only uh, our connects but uh, you know if you're interested in the in the industry you know collegiate sports connect as well uh, a great place for, for all these videos and if you're kind of in the market it's it's kind of that that time of the year where people maybe look around and say see what's out there if there's a, a job changing in your future or you want to get into college athletics that's, a, that's a great entry way to get into the industry and uh you know there's a lot of ad's that are on there searching for you know creative types they're they're searching for you know assistant ad's if you're out there marketing folks um you know you run the gamut uh, in in the athletic department they are searching for it on collegiate sports connect so uh fun times ahead but uh the the bottom line is, is make sure you're signed up for extra points make sure you're giving us five stars here and going for two and signed up for d1 ticker
0: That'll do it for today. We'll be back in touch with you here in a couple of days. I'm Matt, that's Brian. Thanks for tuning in everybody. We'll see you on the internet.